0: Amen. Hey, we live in a challenging world in a challenging time. Just have to watch the news recently to know there are distinct things happening in our world that uh, that cause us to wonder about what's going on. But we have an incredible God who knows what's happening. You know, as we look at kind of wrapping up this series, the kind of six uh, questions that every church should ask, they're important questions for us because They are the questions that speak to the reality of what the church needs to be in a world that desperately needs it. It needs people gathered together that lean onto God for direction, for hope, for instruction and confidence. And so the questions that we've been talking about have a real impact for us as we determine, God, what is it that you want us to be like and to live out for our community and the world in which we touch? So, as we look at those questions again, as we kind of wrap that up, just kind of keep that in mind that these are important, key, core questions that we need to be asking. We've talked about in this series kind of two tiers to these questions. There's on the one hand, there's the questions for the church needs to be asking itself, but the church is made up of people, us. And then there's another level of those questions that is what's happening in my personal life? How do I respond to these types of questions? So here they are, just kind of, I'll walk them through with you, kind of need my notes to remember them after a few weeks, but uh, we started out by talking about who, who are we, which is really a question about identity. Where do, I get our, where do we get our identity as a church? Well, we get it from Christ because it's who He is which teaches us who we are and who we need to be. The second week, we talked about why do we exist, which is about purpose. And mission, what is the purpose of the church? Why do we exist? Why are we here? And that's incredibly important for us to realize what God has called us to do and to be. The next one is um, what do we have to offer, which has to do with our resource, what we bring, what we as a group bring uh, to allow God to use us to be effective as a people that belong to him. The next one was um, where are we involved, which is about mission. Where are we making an effect, both locally and globally? What are we doing? What are we on task in terms of mission in our world? And then the last uh, the last week we talked about how should we live, which is really about wholeness or holiness. How are we supposed to live in the context that we find ourselves? And today we're going to talk about time, when to act. When to act. We're going to talk about time and timing. So as I walk up here, you know, uh, as I grew up, I had an aunt and, uh, and, and, and an aunt and uncle, and we would go and stay at their house, my brother and I, periodically, we would stay overnight or visit, and we had a, uh, they had one son, uh, a cousin, um, which was great. And, and my aunt's house, though, um, she, had, uh, she, had a, she had a few clocks in her house. And I don't mean just a few clocks. She had clocks everywhere. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody have like relatives or friends that were like them? I mean, they had like everywhere there was a vacant space... It wouldn't stay vacant long because a clock went there. And these were not just you looked at the clock. These ones were actually clocking, if you know what I'm saying. So every 15 minutes, every quarter hour, you knew what time it was. And every half hour, you knew even more what time it was. Every three quarters of an hour, you really knew what time it was. And by the time the hour hit, it was like you'd go crazy. I mean, the place just was like ringing. I mean, it was buzzing and ringing, and you know, it was chaotic. Um, but it was one of those things where you never had to worry about knowing what time it was in the house. Anybody kind of like that? Has a lot of clocks? Love, Yeah, but it's just like amazing. I mean, and, and the other kind of insight there is you want to make sure that all the clocks are like on tune. You, you know what I mean? Like it's not a good thing if, if a few of them are just off a little. That's not good. That's not good either. Um, anyway, and, and as a child, I remember trying to sleep in that house. You know, when it's, when it's 11 and 12 at night, it's like a party is happening at some level that you're not even aware of. But anyway, um, but today I want to talk about time because I think time is really, really important. And we're going we're to kind of land a little bit in the book of Ephesians in chapters four and five a little bit today, as well as some Old Testament passages, because they speak about time and how important time is in our life. So if you're following along with notes, this, this first little thing is, so what's the big deal with time? What is the big deal with time? I mean, the concept of time in the Bible is unfolded in several different dimensions. In fact, in the Greek language, there are several words that are used for time, and they mean different things. And there are some nuances that, that I think are, are helpful for us to understand when we talk about time. And if you're a Greek person, you'll probably like this. If you're not, that's okay. But just kind of hang in because we'll, we'll kind of go through. But I want to give you three Greek words that really have to do with time and the differences of what they're trying to tell us. So the first one is Ione. And I, the word for ion is is really, which is primarily a designation over long periods of time. It refers to the past and it denotes kind of things in the distant, dim past. When it looks to the future... It's, it's talking about kind of the meaning of eternity. So it's this long span of time, I own. And and we might think of it this way: lasting time, eternal time, lasting time is a God thing. That's a creator thing, lasting time. Lasting time is a creator thing. Passing time belongs to man, men and women. It, it is the creation piece passing time. So, lasting time is God's, passing time is is man's. The second word is chronos, and chronos uh, denotes um, quantitative linear expanse of time. It's kind of the line of time, for kind of formal scientific concept of time. It means spans of time. It means spans of years or months or weeks or days of time. It is the concept of chronology, chronos time, spans of time. The last one is kairos time. Kairos draws attention to the content and context of time. Negatively, we might think of that as as crisis in time. Positively, we might think of that as an opportunity. Crisis, opportunity, but points in time. It draws our attention in terms of those who are following Jesus that with Jesus a new time has dawned. A Jesus time has dawned for those who follow him. Jesus ushers in a new framework of thinking about time and how we spend our time and how we live out our time. So we live in Kairos time. We live in Jesus time if we're a follower of his. It is is important for us to be vigilant Uh, in our thinking about time and concentrating in terms of how we live in the midst of our time. Because it's important to God how we live and how we live out time. In Psalm 39, 4 and 5, we read these words. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. Now that might be a little discouraging or overwhelming. We all know that like our time on earth is limited and it's not as long sometimes as we'd like it to be. But it reminds us that in in God's kind of order of time, our lifetimes are very brief which ought to remind us that our lives are important and how we use our time is very, very essential. How we spend our time. How we focus our energy on time. I don't want that to be depressing at all, but I I want us to realize it is really key for us to get how important time is, yours and mine. In the economy of things, people sometimes say, and more recently, in, about leadership that uh, time is the most essential commodity more than money. Time is valuable. It has this incredible value. You can't get it back. You can't win it or lose it. I love what it says in Ephesians chapter 5 verses 8 through 10 and then a little bit further, 15 to 20. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And notice this word. Walk, walk as children of light for the fruit of the spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. See that that when you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ submitting to one another in the fear of God. The two things that I wanted you to notice right there is the word walk and the word time. To walk in time. Hmm. What is the big deal with time? Well, I think it's, it's essential for us to get the fact that our time is limited with God on earth. Our time is valuable to God. Whether you're walking with God or not your life is valuable. You have a certain amount of time, a span of time. Here's the second thing in your notes. It says, what does redeeming the time mean? What does it mean to redeem the time? The passage in Ephesians is is about Kairos time. It's about faith in Christ time. It's choosing His life to follow. It's concentrating our focus for living on living as children of light in a new time. A new light has dawned. That is the person of Jesus redeeming. Redeeming. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Do you remember when you took your very first steps? Probably not, right? Okay, don't remember that too much at all. But you remember like, or if you just can visualize or maybe fairly recently, you've watched a child about to take or just taking its first steps, right? It's kind of a weird deal. I mean, like they've been crawling around for a while, and then they kind of get over to something, you know, an ottoman or a chair, and they kind of lift themselves up, and they're kind of wobbly, you know, and they're kind of sort of have this weird grin on their face, and then they let go, and then they just sort of stand there like, hey, this is like unbelievable. You know, a new day has dawned for me. I mean, it's like bizarre. They've got this great look on their face. They're kind of wobbling around, and you're like, wow, that's pretty cool. They're thinking, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. You might not be thinking that, but they're thinking that, and then they go, I'm going to take a step. And then they, like, they like try to take a step. And you know, the first couple of times might be a little faltering, but then when they actually take a step, and they, they've like advanced, they've moved somehow, you know what I'm talking about? They get this amazing grin on their face. It's like, I've accomplished you know, I'm awesome. I've accomplished. I mean, it's amazing. And you're like, wait, 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 wait. No, 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 don't, don't move. Let me get the camera, right? I mean, you got like, whoa, whoa, get the video. So I mean, we're like that. And then like they take a couple of steps. They're like weaving all over, but they're still standing. They think it's the greatest thing in the world. You start clapping. They start clapping. It's like it's like amazing, right? But when they're about four or five and they're walking around, you're not clapping, You're like, sit down, pal. You know, I mean, it's like, hey, whoa, whoa, over here. Over, no, no, okay, okay. But it's a different deal after a while. But we learn how to walk in steps, don't we? We learn how to walk in steps. And the first steps sometimes are a little bit faltering. In our spiritual life, it's kind of like that. The first steps with God sometimes are a bit faltering. But hopefully we begin to gain some balance with God. We begin to gain some confidence with God. We begin to gain some security with God to be a person who's walking with God. But we we walk by watching other people. Kids don't usually get up and just start walking. They've watched. They've watched for a while. They've watched some other kids walk. They've watched older brothers or sisters walk. They've watched their parents walk. They're watching how you walk. When we walk with God, we need to watch how God walks. When we walk with Jesus, we want to follow Him. Jesus said, follow me. He meant they meant like, watch how I walk. Follow me along the path to walk with God. Hmm. Paul also talks in chapter 4 of Ephesians, he talks about things to be careful of. You should no longer walk as the rest of the world walks. They walk a certain way. Don't walk that way. Don't go that direction. Don't imitate them. Don't walk like they walk. Don't do that, Paul said, in the futility of their thinking. Their thinking is different. Don't walk and think like they do. He instructed us to walk worthy of the calling to which you were called. Jesus called you. Jesus called your life to follow him. And you have to make a decision there. Will I follow him or not? And if I'm going to follow him, am I going to stay the path with him? If I wander, Jesus, will you bring me back? Yeah. Or maybe you're like, I'm not sure. That's okay. Be watching. Be here. Be looking. Ask questions. Think. That's, good. That's what we're about. We're learning. We're all learning to follow and walk with God. Paul warns us about watching that we don't walk the wrong directions. Paul continues that theme of walking that we read in chapter 5. Walk in love. Walk as children of light. Finally, walk circumspectly. Not as fools, but as wise. The Greek word for walk is a word peripateo, which refers to the way in which we live our lives and occupy our time. It's a great word. Conduct. It's how we conduct our life. You know, when you walk with someone... It's a little bit different when you walk alone. Gina and I, when we're together, we try to walk every day. It's important for us because when we walk together, certain other dynamics happen in that walk, and they're great. Might be not like, hey, you didn't do this stuff, you didn't do that, when we get back, do that. It's not, I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking about when we walk together, we talk together. When we're together, there's companionship, right? There's companionship. When two people walk and talk, there's beginning to be intimacy in conversation. The more we walk together, the more trust is built in the other person, in the relationship, right? We begin to, we begin to look forward to being with that person, to be moving with that person, to embrace Him. It's no different with God. When we walk with God, the more we walk with Him, we gain a deeper level of intimacy and compassion from Him. We gain courage when we walk with a group of people or more people. They, they provide strength around us. They provide confidence and hope around us. When there's a group of people moving in the same direction, we kind of have a sense of purpose with that group of people. If you've ever been backpacking and didn't know what in the heck you were doing, I've been there. And I'm like, I am totally dependent on the guide. I'll admit that I'm not the guide. I can lead in other areas. That's not one. We get in the wilderness, I'm right behind you. You know what I'm talking about? I like, I need that guide. I want that guide to take me through. I have confidence that they know the path. They know how to read, you know, they know how to read nature. They know exactly what to do. And I'm going to follow them closely. I'm not going to drift off for a while and get a snack. No, I'm like, no, I'm right behind you. When we walk, we want to walk closely. We want to walk circumspectly with purpose with God. Hmm. Faithfulness in our walk with God. What is true and genuine and right is walking with God. That is what redeeming the time is about. The word redeem contains this idea of rescuing from loss. To rescue from loss. To redeem. To rescue from loss. A couple years ago, I was in a, uh, a leadership uh, um sent a bunch of meetings together with people, and there was, I don't know, about 100 people in the room, and I was one of the hosts for this thing, and I was just walking around from table to table and meeting people and saying hello, and and uh, walked up to this one guy who was sitting at a table and introduced myself, and his name is uh, Miguel Colas. And so I started talking to Miguel, and I was like, hey, well, how did you get here, and what do you do, and all that stuff? And he said, well, hey, I'm a pastor. And I go, wow, that's cool. And so, like, how did you, what's your journey? Like, how did you get how did you get here? How did God, you know, what, what happened? He said, well, he said, I was in prison. And when I was in prison, I had like done bad thing upon bad thing upon bad thing, poor decision upon poor decision. heaping up bad choices and bad decisions and I wound up in prison. And when I was in prison, they gave us a choice at one point where could, we could either work in the yard or we could go to chapel. And he thought, I don't know what chapel is, but I'll go there. Because working in the yard, he knew what that was, and he wasn't doing that. So he went to chapel. He had, like, absolutely no desire to be there, didn't care about what they were going on. It just it wasn't in the yard. So he went to chapel, sat in the back, didn't listen, tried to take a nap, whatever, and uh, didn't connect anything that happened in chapel. But the next week when it came up again, he thought, work in the yard, chapel going to chapel. So he went to chapel again. And he found that after a time, not only was he going to chapel, but he was starting to listen. God was redeeming. God was redeeming. To the point at which he noticed that the same people were coming from the outside to lead the chapel. And he couldn't quite figure that out. But then he began to realize the more he listened, the more his life was just a total disruption. Everything was wrong. He couldn't make good choices. He didn't know where he was. He was lost without purpose and hope. And at a point he came to say, God, I'm lost. Because God was redeeming. And his life was transformed. Because he surrendered himself to Jesus. And when he did, he now had purpose. He had a sense of meaning because God swept in. God swept out stuff and he swept in who he was. You don't have to talk along with Miguel for him to be able to tell you the difference of what it means to be lost, to be redeemed. God is in the redeeming business for you and for me. God rescues from loss. Sometimes we try to live in the shadows. Sometimes we we find ourselves in gray areas. You might be in a gray area in your life right now. You might be trying to live life in a gray area, in a shadow area. We do that. We all do. We do that. We say things like this to ourselves. It's not that big a deal. I can handle it. It's just for a time. I'll get over it. I'm okay. I don't really need help. But the light of God doesn't allow gray areas. The light of God doesn't allow for shadows. When the light of God comes in, the light dispels the darkness. It points out where gray areas and darkness is. It redeems fully. It shines beautifully. It produces health and holiness and hope. That's what God does. To live outside of that light is risky because it's rusty. It's rusty because it's corrosive and destructive, and it will deteriorate your life and destroy it. And not many of us would choose for our life to be eroded and destroyed. No, we want health and life and hope. We want the things that the light can bring. And if you're in the shadows today, get out of the shadow. Allow the light of God to show you where those shadows are in your life and say, I need help. And come and talk to us here. Get around some Christian friends that will help you to take steps out of the shadows and back into light so that you can be a whole person. Paul admonishes us to treat time as something precious that must be received and rescued from being lost and fruitless. To paraphrase, because the days are evil, we must take great care to prevent any of our time from going to waste. It would be foolish to knowingly spend time on unprofitable actions, or things. Here's the last of the three. Living wisely regarding your time. These verses again, from Ephesians 5, 8, and 9. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. The message reads this way. I like this. Don't live carelessly, unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the master wants. Don't drink too much wine. That cheapens your life. Drink the Spirit of God. Huge draughts of Him. Sing hymns instead of drinking songs. Sing songs from your heart to Christ. Sing praises over everything. Any excuse for a song to God the Father in the name of the Master, Jesus Christ. Sing to God. I like that. I put a little triad piece on your program notes today. It says, Busyness does not mean I'm diligent. (laughs) Busyness does not mean I'm faithful. Busyness does not mean... I'm fruitful. We can get caught up thinking it's all about busyness, but it's not. You remember in the Old Testament when when Moses was leading the children and they crossed the Red Sea. Remember that? And the sea parted and they got out of Egypt and God saved them and but then they wandered around for a whole heck of a long time. Remember that? They're just wandering around like, where are we? Moses, what's the deal? And after a time, uh, Moses goes up to the mountain and God says to Moses, you're not taking them over. You're not taking them into the promised land. You're not taking them into the land of promise. Joshua going to do that. And Moses dies and Joshua's now in charge and God comes to Joshua and he says, Joshua, you're going to take the people into the land of promise. And you're right at the You're really close to getting them there. And they had gotten to the Jordan River and the Jordan River at this time of year was overflowing its banks. It was in flood zone. It was overflowing its banks and he has the nation behind him and they've got to get across the Jordan to get to the land of promise. And so God says to Joshua, he says, listen, here's what what you're going to do. You're going to take the priests, and they're going to hold up the Ark of the Covenant, which is the presence of God, and they're going to walk the Ark out to the water, to the water's edge. They're going to carry the Ark to the water's edge, and the rest of the people are going to stay a half a mile behind. And when when the priest carrying the Ark get to the water's edge, you tell them to step into the water. Because when they step into the water, the water will part. It's one thing to carry the ark. That's scary enough. We know that. But it's another thing to be told you're going to carry it and you're going to walk to the water and then you're going to cross. So what they do is they, Joshua tells everybody what's going on, gets everybody lined up to go gets the ark and gets the the priests are carrying the ark and they carry it to the water's edge of the Jordan, overflowing its banks, flood zone area, and they step into the water and as soon as they step into the water, the Jordan River backs up. Everything coming downstream backs up and stops and creates a big wall of water and backs up. Everything downstream stops. Just that's it. And the ark is carried to the middle of the river. And the guys that are holding the ark stand in the middle of the dry land of the river. And they stand in the middle. They don't go all the way across. They're right in the middle. And Joshua gets the people and all the people come passing through. And all of them pass all the way through till they get to the other side. Then Joshua is told that each tribe, because there's 12 tribes of people, that, that means that everybody's included. He has a person from every tribe, a representative that carries a rock with them. And they carry it across in front of the ark and across all the dry land. And they get to the other side. They go a little ways farther to where the encampment is. And they take these 12 stones and they build this like historical marker. They set up the stones, these 12 stones that represent the 12 tribes that represents everybody. Everybody. And we're talking about 100,000, 200,000 people here. It represents everybody crossing over. It didn't take like five minutes. It's taking a nation to get across to the land of promise. But they build this historical marker, this monument. And the reason they build those monuments is why? Because they want to be reminded of what God did. When we build this thing, it reminds us God did something important here. And it's so when your children look at that later on and say, what's that that monument for? You can tell them the story of what God did. So they built it right here. It's this awesome picture of this monument built that shows how God took them all the way across and across the Jordan to the land of promise. But it's really curious here because in the fourth chapter of Joshua, it says... They built a second altar. Joshua, God tells Joshua to build another altar. So they take what's in the very middle. The ark is still, they're still holding it in the middle. And so now they build a second second altar, second monument in the middle of the river. It's not flowing yet, but they build this second one. These stones are even bigger. They may have hardly even been able to move these stones, but they build these 12 stones so that in the water, when the water is let go, you may not even be able to see that monument. might be able to kind of like see it through the water, but it's there. And then when the water recedes in the other times of the year, when the water's low, that monument may rise up. You might see it. Why does he do that? Why do we have this second monument? We already have this great monument to what happened here. Why is this one here? And when the the priests carrying the ark walk out and that monument is left there, they walk out with the ark and the water comes back down and covers over that monument, that second monument. Why do we have that second monument there? I think it's because it's to remind them that God is the God of Everything. That God is, God is active even in the middle. It'll remind you over here of the great deed, but over here, this one, is, it's in the middle. It's right, it's right in the middle of what's happening. And it's important for us to understand that. You know, when I work with churches that are going through transitions like we are, I think it's amazing how some people respond to being in transition. I can't imagine that when the children of Israel finally got to the Jordan and the water was right there and it parted and they were ready to go across it, some of them said, yeah, I'm good. I'm good right here. Don't need to cross, I'm good right here. I can't imagine that they knew that the land of promise was right over there. They just had to cross on over that some of them said, I'm going back. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine that some of them said, I'll wait here, I'll see how it works out for you. And then later on, if it's going good, I'll come join you. I can't imagine they thought that way. I think when they started moving across, all of them were so pumped after 40 years of wandering around, I wanna get and see what's going on in the promised land. I think that that altar in the middle of the thing reminds them that there was stuff that God was doing back here and here and here. God keeps moving. He keeps walking his people. There are times in scripture where the apostle Paul will tell us to sit. There are times where the Apostle Paul will tell you and I to run. But here he says walk, which means don't be stationary. It means move in a direction and walk with God. I've found that in working with churches like ours, where we're in transition, people choose a couple of different options. One of those options is stay put. I'm just gonna stay put we say that to kids a lot when they're little. Hey, just stay put right there. I'm just going to shop for maybe an hour. Just stay put. You know, I mean, that kind of stuff. Stay put means just don't move. Just I'm not moving. I'm just staying right here. I'm not engaging. I'm not moving. I'm not going forward. I'm just staying put. There are other people who are like, uh, you know, I'm out. Sorry, but I'm out. I'm done. I'm going somewhere else. That'll happen. There are other people who say, I'll watch. I'll watch and see what happens and then I'll kind of determine how I should respond. There are other people that say, I might be back, which means I'm leaving now. I'll watch and see what happens and then, then maybe I'll come back. But there's another option. The other option is I'm all in. The other option is that when the water parts and I don't know from here to there what's going to happen, I'm in. You can count me in. I brought a rock today, kind of bigger than a rock. I mean, I brought this boulder thing here. Because if you're all in, if you're saying, I don't understand everything that's going on, but in this transition, I don't want to miss out on what God's doing. I wanna commit myself to saying you can count on me. In this transitional time, I'm in. I will do whatever it takes because I don't wanna miss out on what God's time for my life is right now. God has a time for you and this is it. This is your time, this is my time in this place, in this transitional period to be all in. It's a time for you to say, God, I don't know what you're gonna do with my life, but I'm in. You can count me into what you're going to do here. I want people to count on me. I want to count for what happens here. I want to be a part of God's movement in this place. I don't want to miss out on the land of promise or the promises or the blessings of God because I was too stubborn or afraid or whatever. I'm in. I don't know what that means, but I know this. I'm going to walk with God and I'm going to walk in to where he's taken me. If that's you today, when church is over, when the service is over and I do the benediction thing, I'm inviting you if you want to, and you're saying, you can count on me. I will do whatever it takes. I'm in in this place during this time. You come up and sign your name on that rock. A ton of people did that in the first service. There are people who are all in. They don't want to miss out on what God wants to do in and through our lives in this place. So my question today for you is this. Now is your time. If not now, when? If not here, where? And if not you, who? Why don't you pray with me? Jesus, we're not perfect. We get that. We can get afraid, we can have lack of confidence lack of direction, overwhelmed sometimes by bad choices or trying to live in gray areas that we don't belong in. But God, you redeem. You redeem for a purpose. You redeem for a time, Cairo's time, Jesus' time. Jesus, would you speak your direction into our lives today? Give us the hope, the confidence to walk your direction in this, your time. And friend, if you've got stuff that's holding you back, just, just give that to God. If you need help walking through some things, come and get help from some people that want to help you. When we close the service, there'll be people up here at the front also that would love to pray with you. Pray with people. Invite people into your life and be a part of what God's doing. God, would you bless our lives today? Would you speak your truth, your purpose, and your direction, God? God, would you help us to take stands and steps to be all in in this place, in this time. We pray that in Jesus' name for his purpose. Amen.